Greetings and welcome to our latest episode of Si Yo Fuera Una Cancion, If I Were a Song. We are a community-based podcast and radio show in which people of Santa Ana, California, tell us in their own words about the music that means the most to them. I am Elizabeth Le Guin, your program host and director of this project. I've been a musician since I was 10 years old, which makes over half a century now. I was trained as a classical cellist, and I'm currently a professor of musicology at UCLA. I live in Santa Ana, where I'm part of a community that practices Mexican traditional music. This project is based on my conviction that we people in the modern world need to learn to listen to one another, and that music, and all it brings us, is the perfect place to begin. My name is David Castaneda, music researcher here for the Sillo Fuera Una Cancion podcast. I'm a percussionist specializing in musics from Latin America and the United States. In addition to playing these musics, I have also studied them. I recently finished my PhD dissertation in ethnomusicology, which explored the ways that musicians are listening to each other across national, cultural, and ethnic lines. I'm so happy to be a part of this project, using my training and my performance experience to bring you the stories, music, and lived experiences of those living right here in Santa Ana. All right, so it's, what day is today? It's October 28th, right? Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, it's Wednesday, that I know. Wednesday in Spanish is miércoles from Mercurio or Mercury. Mercury represents communication. (laughs) No way! Yep, it's the day of communication, (laughs) as far as I know. Well, what good timing. (laughs) Perfect. Okay, let's get started. If you can tell us a little bit, Yuriti, about yourself, anything about your life you'd like to share with our listeners. Okay. My name is Yuriti. I'm 38 years old, and my profession is, well, I'm a lighting designer. That's what I spend the greater part of my day working on, from Monday to Friday. And, well, how do I identify? Hmm. First and foremost, I identify as a migrant. The second way I identify is as a single mother. And lastly, at least right now, I'm a contradiction. So those are the things, the three things I identify with most. Migrant, single mother, and contradiction. Contradiction, you say? Yes, contradiction. Well, I hope we'll have the opportunity to explore that a little more. <laughs> All right, great. And when did you arrive in Santa Ana? Or I know that right now you don't technically live in Santa Ana, but... But yeah, I I know you through Santa Ana's musical and social scenes. So when did you arrive in, uh, let's say, this part of Southern California? I arrived in August 2013. Really? So, so, So recently? Yes. I've been living here in Southern California for seven years. When I turned nine, my whole family and I moved to Northern California to a city, well, more like a town, a place called Hamilton, very near Chico, California. Ah. And my whole family lived there for two years, and then we went back to Mexico. And later, when I was 15, I decided to come on my own. My plan was to finish high school here. I ended up only lasting a year. I was living with my aunt, but it wasn't working out, so I stayed one year and then went back to Mexico. Then later on, when I got pregnant, my sister was living in San Diego, and so I came here to have my baby. And I stayed in San Diego another two years. That was in 2000. And then in 2009, when I'd finished my studies, I really wanted to go back to the U.S. So at the end of, if I'm not mistaken, in 2010, 
I left for New York. <laughs> to be free. <laughs> but I only lasted four months because I left in October. And when winter came, I began to feel really sad. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> I didn't know anybody. So to begin with, things were already going relatively well. I met people, I had a place to live, I found work, a bunch of things, but I haven't gone back. <laughs> yeah. Winter on that part of this continent is really tough, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't realize you'd lived in that many places in the U.S., so I'm learning something new about you. Well, okay, so this question that we start with, where are you from? It, as you know, it can be taken in various ways, literally, geographically, culturally, psychologically, however you want. So I definitely think the song I chose represents where I'm from. And while I don't think it represents every tapatio or person from Guadalajara, in a definitive way, it does depict many of my experiences. It doesn't just talk about a place, right? Mm. It talks about feelings and experiences that I had there. So... I'm from Guadalajara. I was born and raised there. And well, yeah, this song truly represents me. In fact, we could, if you want, almost go word for word. It's so, it utilizes such distinct images, images and customs that are very distinctly from Guadalajara. Yeah, sure, sure. I, I noticed that. Unfortunately, I haven't, visit, I haven't visited Guadalajara yet. It's on my list. But I did notice... Uh, I don't know, a, a certain affect, an air to the song. Great, so let's give it a listen. Aquí la voz de <laughs> well, I knew nothing about this band or these artists before your recommendation. So last night I spent a good while listening to several of their songs and their albums, and they're a band whose musical profile is real particular to them, right? It's, it's very, it's, it's unique and charming. I love what they do. But, all right, how did you first hear of this group, El Personal? Huh. Um, well, I think it was on the radio. I was always listening to the University of Guadalajara radio. If I'm not mistaken, that was where I first heard them. But they're a really old band. This song is from 1988. Mm -hmm. So I heard the song for the first time around 2003. The band didn't stay together very long. So, yeah, I think that's how it went. And do you still listen to them often, or, or is it more like a reminder of a certain time in your life? No, a lot of their music is still on playlists I've made of my favorite songs that I listen to on shuffle sometimes. For example, I have a playlist for when I have company and we want to dance, a dancing playlist, with this song on it, right? Because to me, this song has a lot of movement and makes me want to dance. So one or another of these songs is always coming on. For example... They have one called Nosotros los Maranos, or We the Pigs, that talks about, it's a metaphor or analogy. I'm not sure how to explain it. How about We Humans Are Destroying the Planet? It talks about that. And yes, we are the pigs. 
I really adore their music. Many of their songs make a lot of sense to me. How interesting. I'd never heard the word marrano for pig before. Uh Uh-huh. And you know, it can also be used to describe someone as dirty, a slob. Yeah, I see. Mm -hmm. But yeah, (laughs) a marrano is, well, the pigs we eat, pork. Yeah, there's another song by the same band that, that I listened to with a chorus that says something like Somos los Puercos. We are the pigs again, right? And and it has a <laughs> sound. It, it, it seems like We Are Pigs is a running theme with this group. <laughs> yep. Nosotros somos los marranos Nos divertimos So, David, um, El Personal, the name of that band translates in English to The Personnel, which is a funny name for a band, and I think probably a little bit ironic, like so much of their music. Tell us what you found out about this band. Yeah, I think that this band is very interesting because they actually had their start at the famous uh, Bar Nueve in Mexico City. And this bar became known uh, in many, many circles, but most of all in this, what we can call counterculture, kind of like alternative scene in Mexico City uh, in the 70s and the 80s. It was one of the only bars at that time in that city, specifically catering to LGBTQ community members. Uh, These two guys, Henry Donadieu, and Manolo Fernandez started it, recognizing that there wasn't a space for those of the LGBTQ community to congregate. Uh, so they started this bar and it became kind of this hub for counterculture and alternative groups. And for me, it's you know, it's just another example of, you know, the, the LGBTQ community coming together to provide the space for alternative ideas and it giving rise to, in this case, fantastic art. But in other cases, social movements that have changed society here in the United States and also in Latin America. Right. Right. Well, yeah, I'm thinking, you know, Stonewall was a bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that it's bars. It's not even so-called cultural centers. You know, it's it's spaces that really are, I don't know, a little bit out of the mainstream of what generally gets called culture. But mm-hmm. actually, it's like this incredibly rich alternative space and like you say this amazing art comes out right and you know in this case it came out in the form of this band which um, produces this music that gets called fusion music Um, I don't know if you want to say anything about what that means to you this idea of musical fusion well as someone who does a lot of fusion music I can say that I don't like the term fusion I think <laughs> I think it's best to let music be what it's going to be because then it can be free and people can interpret it however they want you know it's for me fusion music is just music doing what people do which is they listen and they experience and then they create based on those experiences so very open I don't like the term <laughs> well yeah and and you know what it makes me think of actually is cooking um mm-hmm that you're going to make a soup and you get a bunch of ingredients together. And, you know, maybe somebody might look at those ingredients and think, really, you're going to put those things together? But if you're a good cook and you're on that night, (laughs) you know, sometimes these really unusual combinations will just make something that's like brilliant because it comes together and it cooks and it 
it makes new art in food form. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. One other thing I, I did want to comment uh, on about the song that Yuritsi chose, La Tapatia, mm -hmm. which talks a lot about food, as it happens. Um, and, and we get going in the interview about this, this theme of uh, pigs. Uh-oh. <laughs> There's this other song by the band uh, called Nosotros Somos Los Marranos. We are the pigs. Mm -hmm. And what they're talking about there is that human beings are really dirty and messy, and we mess things up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we do. And the reason I wanted to mention this is that it resonates for me with another interview in this series uh, that we did a couple months ago now. Uh, it's the interview with Graciela Olguin, who is also a native of Guadalajara. Graciela is of another generation. She's in her 80s now. And she talks about Guadalajara, and she talks about the Lago de Chapala, the big lake that's outside of the city, mm -hmm. with such love in her voice. But then she says, you know, that lake's been really badly polluted. They killed all the fish. Oh my I, I really wish it could be the way it was. And, and I'm just thinking, okay, well, here's Yuritsi, a younger native of the same city, and she brings us these artists, El Personal, who are talking about Somos los Marranos. Mm -hmm. They're talking about the fact that we humans, boy, we mess things up. And it's just really poignant to this resonance between the two interviews, I think. It is. It is, unfortunately so. But hopefully we can change that moving forward, you know? I hope so. And... All right, and in your song, the one you chose for this interview, there's a list of everything the couple ate. So how do you identify with that part? I, I would never think of pigs when thinking of you, Yuritsi. So in what way do you identify with this image of eating? Well, I do identify with it because I love to eat. It's, well, <laughs> to me, when it talks about all the food, it makes me think, well, for starters, they had a lot, they had walked a lot, right? Around the whole city. The song tells a story. It's a story about how he fell in love, right? It goes, En Guadalajara fue donde me enamoré, or En Guadalajara, where I fell in love. But definitely for me, just about falling in love with someone, the girl he met at the station, right? Who's getting herself a huge birrote. Well, in Guadalajara, the birrote is pretty iconic. For those who haven't been to Europe, who haven't seen a baguette, well... To see a loaf of bread that big makes you go, wow, no, a birote, <laughs> that's almost three feet long. I mean, that's big. Yeah. So it talks about food. And, and to me, it talks about all that food because they were walking a lot. Another part of the song mentions vicio or vice. I was looking into it because they also talk about el toquecito or a little toque. So marijuana, they smoked, right? Ah, uh, sure, sure. I had my doubts, so I asked various friends of mine who are also big fans of the group and who are a lot older than I am, so they lived more through that era. They said that no, the band, the band members, had a reputation for being heavy into drugs. Not only marijuana, but drugs in general. So the vice in those days was something that was banned in Guadalajara for a long time. It's something called Tommy. It was a solvent sold in shoe stores that you'd inhale oh. and well... Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
So for me, everything about the food, it's just like a relationship that they've been hanging out all day long, walking, doing drugs and whatnot. <laughs> and then they go to a typical spot in the city that sells a lot of snacks. And you can get a lot of – and besides, well, the food is – Similar everywhere. It's pretty typical. Nothing too innovative, of course. Tostadas, sopes, pozole. Things that can be found all over Mexico. But in Guadalajara, the food has its own style and a unique way of being served, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Well, yeah, thank you for explaining. You've got to explain a lot to me. And, okay, there's a there's an aspect of this song that really caught my attention at first, and that's... How do I explain it's that the tone is, it's very lighthearted. It, it doesn't take itself very seriously. Not the singer and not the story being told. I'd say the tone is a bit ironic. And I, I wanted to ask you about that, Yuriti, because I know, I know you as someone who is quite serious and very sincere. So do you hear this song's tone as being ironic or, or how do you hear it? Yes, yes, of course. Yes, I can be very serious, but when I was younger, I was a mess. I mean, I was really all over the place. <laughs> so yeah, what I'm saying is the song is very irreverent and humorous. But for me, it's important to put everything onto the context of what is Guadalajara. Mm. So it's known to be quite conservative city, right? But for me, it's far from it. It's a city, well, with a double moral standard. It's conservative in appearance, but truly has a double moral standard. For example... Guadalajara is known for being a queer-friendly city. When I was younger, it was called the gay capital. So yes, for sure, I love this song precisely for that reason. Because, because it transcends time. Because it deals with social issues, you know? Mm. It questions topics that are taboo for the city, like sex and drugs, right? So I really love it because, well, it raises a series of issues. And for a society that, for example, the group, the group, like I said... The members were known to really like their drugs. So also, many of the members were gay. The singer died of AIDS, which in those times was only believed to be contracted by homosexuals. It's pretty rough, but yeah. And of course, I love the song's irreverence, its humor, and well, yeah. I think you know me to be serious, but in those days, I wasn't so serious. <laughs> Well, yes, serious. You also definitely have a wonderful sense of humor. So, yeah, now I understand the connection a bit better. And I just have one more question about this song, and that it, in, in, in terms of musically representing the Guadalajara or Jalisco region, so there's a group of very famous songs that are used to express exactly this region. I'm, I'm referring to the charming and well-known mariachi song, for example, El Tapatio, The Man from Guadalajara, and of course the Jarabe Tapatio, the Mexican hat dance, so-called. It's incredibly famous. You didn't choose either of those songs, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think we already have an idea of why, but could you explain that a bit? It's funny because, look, let me give you an anecdote. Someone told me that you'd spoken to them, that you'd invited them to do an interview, right? So I told them that you'd invited me to do one as well. And I said, I already know my song. It's going to be La Tapatia. And they were like, I thought about that song too. Uh -huh. <laughs> this song really represents who I am. I am completely identified with it because it's reggae and it's cumbia and it's rock. 
all the genres I love, you know? And the story also helps transport me to Guadalajara. The truth is that I liked mariachi music for a long time, and even now I still enjoy it sometimes, but not like I did before. But, but yeah, I keep thinking, how do I identify? Well, it's with this. There's no other song. Yeah, yeah, the, the terms of the interview are a little narrow, right? This is intentional because we could talk for four hours about all the music that you relate to or that you like. <laughs> but it occurs to me that mariachi music also doesn't carry that double meaning that you spoke of a while ago, that sense of a moral, a, a way of living in the city that's very, very complex morally and a little at war with itself, right? Mariachi is a bit simpler in terms of what it expresses. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I really like the complexity of this song. It seems pretty simple, but it's not. <laughs> okay, good. Um, let's get to our third question and your second song. Let's consider your hopes for the future and how they're expressed in a song by Luis Pastor. He's a super interesting figure, and the song you chose is also really interesting. Muchos que no conozco en las fronteras del mundo, en el miedo de tus ojos, abandonado a tu suerte y a la ambición de unos pocos. Soy tú, soy él, y muchos que aquí no llegan. I'm over here like bopping up and down in my seat. <laughs> it just has this beat that's really super bouncy. Oh, okay, tell me a bit about your relationship with this song. I can even remember the program I first heard this song on. In fact, that program connected me to a lot of music that became music I listened to at least once a week, right? <laughs> so, I'm sure it was a program called El Tintero on the University of Guadalajara radio station. And well, I heard it there. And then I began listening to Luis Pastor's music whenever I had the chance. And well, like you said, I think Luis Pastor is a person who is quite consistent in what he writes and what he says, no? Mm. Throughout his life, and and now that I have my own connection to Son Jaracho, and I'm getting into the poetic tradition there and everything, I realized recently that he writes his memoirs in octosyllables. So, are you kidding? Wow. I'm going to look into that. That's awesome. <laughs> So, Luis Pastor, what a guy, man. So, he evidently started singing protest songs in Madrid when he was a teenager. And something that it's easy for us to forget now, I think, but before 1975, Spain was a dictatorship. It was a fascist dictatorship. Wow. And protest songs could land you in jail, and jail could get you killed. Wow. He was taking a very considerable personal risk. Mm -hmm. And, well, obviously he survived. He has been writing songs ever since. He's incredibly prolific. And he's still going strong, and he's now reaching out be beyond Spain, uh, making contact with other artists and doing all these transnational collaborations. Yep, and one of them is with the song that uh, that we hear in this episode here. 
And that's what Chico Cesar. So Chico Cesar is from Paraíba, Brazil, originally. Uh, he has also made a career creating this socially conscious, politically minded music as a singer-songwriter. And I think that goes really well and that complements Luis Pastor. I think we can hear it in that in that selection that Uritzi played for us. But for me, the thing that stands out most is the fact that they chose to make this bilingual, right? So here in the United States, we're used to bilingual English-Spanish. In this selection, we hear Spanish-Portuguese, which I love. I mean, I'm a Portuguese speaker. I, I study Brazilian music, of course, this is in Portuguese. So to hear this done in this way, I think reflects not only their work, what their aim is, but also this podcast very much so. Uh, in terms of creating connections over cultural borders, uh, ethnic borders, and the rest. I really, really loved it. That's so cool. Yeah, and I, I, I appreciate the way you're connecting it to, to this project. I mean, absolutely. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, like I said, it was hard to choose because there were so many options, you know. Mm. But this song, like I said, I really like. And it's also one of my favorite artists. It was a hard one because I wanted the song to respond directly to the question. And I'm not sure how it expresses hope, but it does express and point to many of the problems we face. Mm. It doesn't express what I want for the future, but it expresses the societal problems I would like to see change for the better. So, well, more than anything, it addresses migration, work, how the richer get richer off the work of the poor, and inequality, you know? So, well, yeah, it's rhythm, it's beat, definitely make me feel a little more hopeful, right? It's encouraging, and I like to think about how Luis Pastor, for a time, was known to be a pebble in the shoe of the powerful. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I was reading a bit about Luis Pastor, and it appears he's from quite a humble background. He lived grew up in a neighborhood on the outskirts of Madrid, which was sometimes called the Madrid Trash Heap. It was called Vallecas, that neighborhood. And part of his art and music is dedicated, a big part of his art and music is dedicated to singing about the, the issues and passions and lives in his own neighborhood, which is pretty admirable, right? I, I really appreciate what you're saying, that he seems to be someone who's super consistent. In this case, with this song, it's just a small piece of a vast repertoire. He's made something like 20 albums, no? It's incredible. And these lyrics are very powerful. Uh, yeah. And the music is quite upbeat, though the lyrics are tough, definitely. He, he talks about, well, this is a quote, those who are scattered by famine, stripped of their land, forgotten by destiny, and so on. And that's, it's a pretty powerful list of problems facing the Spaniards and much like in the USA or in many other, uh, we, we would say, developed countries. But the music kind of changes everything, right? It's, it's like you say, it becomes uplifting. It's like magic with this reggae-like sound. It becomes something different. Yeah, I was thinking about it a little bit. Well, the lyrics, the lyrics are intense, like you said. But that very simple but powerful phrase, I'm you, I'm him, mm. the act of seeing ourselves in others, no? Which I think we often forget to do, or many people forget to do. People who are anti-migration or pro-war, which, you know, they forget to put themselves in someone else's shoes, as they say, right? Mm. 
So the message behind I'm you, I'm him, is not to see ourselves as separate from others. Quite simple, but quite powerful for me. Yes. Yes, of course. So so tell me, how is it that you uh, attempt to or or practice how is it that you practice this act of identifying with the other? Do you have practices in your life or or moments where you find yourself facing an opportunity to practice this kind of identification? I, I completely agree with you. It's it's a fundamental part of empathy and of confronting these social issues. But how does one do it in daily life? Oh, I'd like to have the answer myself. I something I make a strong point of doing, especially at work, you know, my workplace is a place with very defined hierarchies and status. For me, treating everyone in the lowest ranks of the hierarchy with courtesy every day is fundamental, right? Mm-hmm. I know that perhaps it's not the best economic choice for me, but the act of refusing to consider rising in the ranks of that hierarchy by means of things like, well, pride and the belittlement of others, it's something I make a point of every day at work. There have been times where maybe I'm ashamed to admit that I've aspired to or wanted to do things differently out of a desire for a higher status maybe or whatever. But over time, I always think that it's been more valuable and more meaningful to remember that there are more important things, right? Like treating people well, because, for example, at my work, there are a lot of people who arrive and never greet anyone. Well, I don't know. To me, that is very, well, really sad, no? And so I tried to replicate that at the Centro Cultural de México, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So always giving those with fewer privileges more space, more time, more... It's hard because, well, it's a power game everywhere. I'm not going to say that it's only that way at the centro, also at my work, in the streets, everywhere. So Yeah, yeah. For me, well, I don't know. I'm not sure how valuable it is or whatever, but at least I have the sense that that I've done what I believe is right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, we have to start from where we are, right? And with acts, sometimes with very small actions, or at least to us they seem small, but it could be an enormous step to take a step towards someone who seems foreign or unfamiliar to us. And and to not participate in these, like you say, hierarchies and games of power that are everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what you're describing, it's not easy, but it's super important because we have to begin with our own lives. Without that, all the altruism in the world won't matter if we don't have those particular personal actions. So I really admire what you're saying. And yeah, I'm you, I'm him. No, it's, it's, it's really deep. It's really deep. So I find myself moved to take a step back here and just reflect a little bit about the importance of small acts of kindness and goodness. Yuriti brings this up in such a nice way in her interview, and it's a theme that has surfaced in a number of our interviews. It came up most recently in Brian Peterson's interview in a very different context. And... It's really something that I just, I 
think we could all take a little extra time to think about. No, we're not going to save the world with great gestures and magnificent works of art and great political alliances. We're going to save the world with small kindnesses to one another. If we can't start there and keep it there, the world's not going to get saved. That's the way I see it anyway. And okay, talking a bit more about hope. How, how does the music and dance in your life help you to reach the future you desire? I think it helps me in a few ways. Music has that function, right? To show me a future I'd like to see. One of the ways I think it helps me, or the role it plays, is through inspiration. Because I think that the most, most of the music that I listen to inspires me through its lyrics. Like in this song, En las fronteras del mundo on the world's borders, it really packs a punch because it has great music and great lyrics, in my opinion. It helps me to feel inspired and to have faith. How I would like to see the future, I would have the urge to do crazy things to make a change. And I don't think I'm the only one who feels that inspiration through music. I think a lot of people can feel it. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the roles that music plays for me in the process of dreaming of a different world. The other is as a fandanguera, Jaranera, and someone who inspires to do many things within the fandango, it's a door through which I can denounce something or bring attention to things that are not right, that we can change, that we can work on. Mm -hmm. So that's another role music plays as a tool. And I think it's also really important as a release, right? Because I couldn't think of a world where even if everything was perfect, if there wasn't music, it would be like... No, then it wouldn't be perfect, right? <laughs> a perfect world couldn't exist without music because I think, well, it helps so much to heal us more than anything and to get to know ourselves and to socialize and so many, so many things music does. I can't imagine a happy world without it. Neither can I. Do you think the capacity of impromptu homemade music like like son harocho is different from that of music that's commercially recorded yes i think there's a difference but in my opinion neither takes away from the other because for example this song by luis pastor even though it's not very commercial it was played on the radio if it hadn't not as many people would have heard it not as many people would have identified with it perhaps some of them feel inspired like me and are thinking about changing the world i don't know so there's a capacity there. It's different from the capacity of our son Jorocho music, which is to get together and talk within the community. And that has an effect, I think. So the capacities are different, but not necessarily opposed. Mm. But let's say, for example, I started out with this music, which has more than one social content at a certain age. From there, I began seeking out forms of expression or music specifically that carried the meaning of, hey, this isn't right. We've got to do something, no? And so I see that it begins to bring people together, too. People who share a certain vision of how they'd like to see the world, right? So I start to feel more connected to people who are like Son, for example. I think it represents a way of life I aspire to, a life of dreams and everything. And we're headed in the same direction. Yeah. And for that reason, also, you talked about inspiration. It's... It's that it moves us to do things and change things, maybe. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> what, 
Well, we are coming to the end of our interview, I think. But one more thing. I want to go back to something you expressed at the beginning, which is when you introduced yourself, you said that you're a contradiction. <laughs> and I I want to finish by returning to that for a bit, because it turns out that the songs that you picked, each one has a strong element of contradiction. In this case, with Luis Pastor, there's a very strong and effective contradiction, I would say, between the seriousness of the lyrics and the joyfulness of the music. And it creates a kind of chemistry which turns the song into something powerful. But when it comes to, uh, to, to you <laughs> as a person, do you want to speak a bit more on the contradictions you referred to? Um, well, more than contradictions, it's that I give myself permission. I give myself permission to be a contradiction. And by that, I mean, well, there have been many times in my life where I, I've been 100% sure of something. <laughs> <laughs> or that that I'm not going to do something, for example. That happened to me several times. I'm not going to do X. No, I'm not going to do it. And at the same time, there's elements that are telling me, yes, do it, do it. <laughs> there are people who tell me to do it or that, and I can go a long time saying no, but then all of a sudden, boom, I do it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I contradict myself, right? Or another thing, I think about sometimes, and it doesn't make me very proud, but well, I was always really against the system and everything, right? And like, now I live a life that's, well, definitely not outside the system. I have a pretty ordinary life, so my life contradicts my ideals. I'm not consistent, you know, like Luis Pastor. <laughs> I can be against many things, but I have a job that doesn't value the environment or many things, no? There are so many factors that make me go, wow, or the simple fact that the simple fact that I'm in the United States, right? I mean, for myself and my closest friend, the U.S. has always represented the, well, the oppressor, the system that has wrecked so much of the world, etc. And I'm here in the U.S., right? <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, I can be defined as a contradiction. <laughs> well... That's a lovely sentiment. I think it's very mature, no, to accept and recognize the contradictions in our lives. Because honestly, very few people are that consistent. But if I'm understanding you correctly, the important thing is to accept oneself, accept the contradictions, accept the faults, and accept all the things we do that aren't that great, right? <laughs> and to accept ourselves as human beings right? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm arriving at that point. It used to be harder, more painful, a much greater internal conflict for me. And now I say, well, as another song says, we aren't what we want to be, right? But what we can be. Yeah, yeah. But I also see you as having a lot of clarity, a person who you always fight for the well-being of others. You've made a strong commitment to that, and it shows. And we do have to keep fighting, right? I think so. Let's hope. Yeah, let's hope. Exactly. Well, I think this is a good note on which to end the interview, unless you have anything else you'd like to say. No, just to thank you, tell you thanks so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, for, for me as well. What a great project. Well, I love it. 
I truly love this project. It's such a privilege. I, I love the way music gives us a, like, like a window through which we can see the horizons of our lives from a bit of a wider angle. And speaking of privilege, it's a huge privilege to be able to discuss these things with my friends like you. All right. Oh, and in a bit, I'm also going to send you. So I have a habit of making little sketches as I converse with people. And I, I made a sketch of a, of a marrano. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send it to you as a, as a, as a thank you gift. <laughs> I love it. Yes, send it to me. And yes, thank you for teaching me that word. And thank you, Yuritsi, uh, for everything. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Have a great night. Yeah, you too. Okay, take care. Bye. Would you like to know more? On our website at ciofuera.org, you can find lyrics to the songs we discuss, our blog about the issues of history, culture, and politics that come up around every song, links for listeners who might want to pursue a theme further, and some very cool imagery. You'll also find playlists of all the songs from all the interviews to date, and our special staff-curated playlist as well. We invite your comments or questions. Contact us at our website or participate in the Cio Fuera conversation on social media. We're out there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And then there's just plain old word of mouth. If you like our show, do please tell your friends and your families to give it a listen. And do please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll bring you a new interview every two weeks on Friday mornings. Julia Alanis, Cynthia Marcel de la Torre, and Wesley McClintock are our sound engineers. Zoe Broussard and Laura Diaz hold down the marketing. David Castaneda is music researcher. Deaneira Garcia and Alex Dolvan make production possible. We are a not-for-profit venture currently and gratefully funded by the John Paul Simon Guggenheim Foundation. For now, and until the next interview, keep listening to one another. I'm Elizabeth Le Guin, and this is Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. Si yo fuera una canción Sonarían por las calles, las montañas y los valles Mi orgullo y mi pasión ¿Quién soy yo de corazón? Soy una una, soy una onda Una vibración que ronda por el universo vivo Y sonando soy testigo a nuestra unidad más honda